Thank you so much. It's what a wonderful reminder as we move into talking about the parables. That p- one of the things that the parables does is teaches us how do we live each day in the kingdom of God and toward the kingdom of God. And so that's a, a great reminder, Paul. Thank you so much for that. So we are moving into talking about Jesus' parables. We've been talking about Jesus as a teacher. Last week we, we talked about him the, that his message that he came teaching, he came teaching and preaching the good news of the kingdom of God. And so this week we move into, and one of the ways that he did that best was through the use of parables. And so we're going to begin exploring the parables. Today's an introduction to the parables. And then Walt will be picking up, at, if not next week, maybe after Easter, getting in more in-depth as to eat into each parable and their meaning. Jesus didn't invent the use of parables. They were not unique to him. He was using a form um, that was well established in Israel's history, uh, particularly within the prophetic tradition. The prophets often used parables to teach as well. For instance, we find um, the, the prophet Isaiah using these words. Let me sing for my beloved, of course this is Isaiah uh, speaking for God to the people of Israel. Let me sing for my beloved my love song concerning his vineyard. My beloved had a vineyard on a very fertile hill. He dug it and cleared it of stones and planted it with choice vines. He built a watchtower in the midst of it and hewed out a wine vat in it. So this imagery of Um, a vineyard and a watchtower and a wine vat. He expected it to yield grapes, but it yielded wild grapes. And now inhabitants of Jerusalem and people of Judah judge between me and my vineyard. And the parable goes on, and in the end you discover, of course, that the vineyard is Israel and the grapes are the people of Judah and they're not, they have become wild grapes, and that's not a good thing. Um, And so Jesus is going to take this well-known parable that's in Isaiah, and he's going to turn it into other parables. He's going to adapt it and use it as the basis for no less than four of his other parables. Um, The parable of the vineyard workers, uh, which, as you remember, the parable of the vineyard workers, uh, the workers come at different hours of the day, And they're paid the same wage, and they don't think that's good, but it shows God's mercy and grace, and God will do what God will do. Uh, Then Matthew 21, the parable of the wicked tenants, which we're going to come back around to a little bit today. So um, as in Isaiah, um, a, a vineyard owner creates this vineyard. He plants the vineyard. He puts a fence around it to protect it. He builds a watchtower. He has a wine vat. And then he goes away. And he has sort of like a sharecropper's tenants come in to tend it for him. And he sends workers or he sends servants back to get his share of the produce. And when he sends his servants, they are uh, beaten. They're belittled. One is killed. And then he says, ah, I'll send my son and in the end, he said, they'll respect my son, but they kill his son. And, of course, all of this is metaphor for um, the prophets and the leaders in Israel and Jesus. And so um, he uses the same in terms of the parable of the prodigal son 
and the parable of the barren fig tree. He takes and uses those images. Uh, we also find in the Old Testament when the Nathan, uh, Nathan the prophet confronts King David after his uh, affair with Bathsheba. And you know, um, David sends Bathsheba's husband to the front lines of battle knowing that he will be killed. And so he has an affair with her. He has her husband basically killed. And he chooses to confront David rather than saying, why did you do this? Because he's a smart prophet and doesn't want his head handed to him on a platter. He chooses to confront David with a parable. Uh, so in 2 Samuel, we hear these words. And the Lord sent Nathan to David. And Nathan came to David and said to him, there were two men in a certain city, the one rich and the other poor. The rich man had very many flocks and herds, but the poor man had nothing but one little ewe lamb which he had bought. He brought it up, and it grew up with him and with his children. It used to eat of his meager fare and drink from his cup and lie in his bosom, and it was like a daughter to him. Now, there came a traveler to the rich man, and he was loath to take one of his own flock or herd to prepare for the wayfarer who had come to him. But he took the poor man's lamb and prepared that for the guest who had come to him. So Nathan uses this parable to have David pronounce the sentence of judgment on someone who would do this. So he comes to, to David and he says this parable. And he said, what do you think about someone who do, would do this? And David says, oh, my gosh, this is horrible. I can't believe anyone would do this. I, you know, we should have this person put to death. And um, then Nathan says, on, based on David's own judgment, Nathan says, well, you are this man. This is what you did with Bathsheba, taking this man's wife whom he loved, and this is, was his only wife, and you are this man. So Jesus uses parables in much or exactly the same way often. He uses them in many different ways, but this is one way he uses them. He has those who oppose him draw a logical conclusion, and then uh, he brings home, he, he uses that conclusion to bring home this sharp point of criticism from God. So he'll tell the story and say, what do you think about that? And it gets people riled up, and then he goes, well, that's you. Uh, and when he does this, for instance, in Mark, with the parable of the wicked tenants, which we just talked about, he tells the story of the parable of the wicked tenants, and then he turns to uh, the leaders of the temple and the Pharisees and scribes and says, well, this is you. And can you imagine what kind of reception that gets? Well, yeah. Uh, when they realized that he had told this parable against them, they wanted to arrest him. And Luke says they wanted to lay hands on him immediately. So uh, this is sort of the beginning of the end for Jesus uh, when he tells these parables against them. So parables are also not meant to be taken literally. Um, they are cr very carefully crafted stories about incidents of the day. So would, they would have used imagery that the people would be familiar with. You know, we might say, you know, a man went and got in his car and bought a condo down on Oak Lawn, uh, rather than some of these images. So it's stories of the day that people would understand. Perhaps they'd even seen happen, someone buying a vineyard, hewing it out, uh, building a fence around it, those sorts of things. So they're carefully crafted stories designed to force people to draw a particular conclusion. And we see this, uh, again, in a parable um, 
found in the book of Judges, just to show you that sometimes, you know, they're not meant to be taken literally. They're meant to be uh, metaphor or allegory. So from Judges, we see this. When it was told to Jotham uh, about, and this is a story of a king, Abimelech. He has uh, his brothers killed because he wants to become king. And um, it's, it's just a really messy tale. And so here is what happens. So when it was told to Jotham, he cried aloud and said to them, Listen to me, you lords of Shechem, so that God may listen to you. The trees once went out to anoint a king over themselves. So they said to the olive tree, reign over us. The olive tree answered them, shall I stop producing my rich oil, which gods and mortals are honored, and go to sway over the trees? Then the tree said to the fig tree, well, then you come and reign over us. But the fig tree answered them, Shall I stop producing my sweetness and my delicious fruit and go to sway over the trees? Then the tree said to the vine, You come and reign over us. But the vine said to them, Shall I stop producing my wine that cheers gods and mortals and go to sway over the trees? So all the trees said to the bramble. See, we're getting lower and lower. <laughs> We've gone from trees to fig trees to vines. Now we're down in the bramble. You come and reign over us. And the bramble said to the trees, if in good faith you are anointing me king over you, then come and take refuge in my shade. But if not, let the fire come out of the bramble and devour the cedars of Lebanon. There's a sharp parable. Parables in this way can be subversive. They, they can disturb and they can unsettle. Um, but most importantly, parables are not meant to merely describe the kingdom of God, which we know that that's Jesus. That's one of the main ways Jesus uses parables, to say the kingdom of God is like this. So they're not just meant to describe the kingdom of God, but they're also meant to actually bring it about in us. The parables... Uh, to bring the kingdom to the person who responds in faith. So you hear the parable. It creates you to, for a, a change of heart uh, to incite you to some sort of action. And in that way, it brings the kingdom into the person who responds in faith. And then out of that, Jesus' parables about the kingdom focus on really two questions. What is the kingdom of God like? It's like a man who went out and built a vineyard. It's like this, this mustard seed that's planted. What's it like? And how should we live so that we participate in it, in, that, in the kingdom of God, both now and in the future? What are we supposed to do about it? So Jesus ended many of his parables with the statement, and I know you're familiar with this, anyone who has ears to hear, let him listen. And so Jesus is asking with this, if anyone has ears, let him listen. He's asking, did you get it? Did you understand? Listen up, because this is meant for you too. Did you get it? And the parables are like jokes. Either you get it or you don't. And I've got to tell you, there, there are parables I read, and I still have to go, where is the explanation for this? Because I don't, I don't always get it. The one about the wineskins always, I've got to go back and like figure that one out each time. Either you get it or you don't. Um, and if you get it, you're in. You're in, you're in the kingdom. Um, and this is why Jesus can say, the kingdom of God is among you. When, you when we understand and when we apply, then the kingdom of God is among us. Uh, 
uh, or you're not far from the kingdom or as with Zacchaeus today salvation has come to this house and Jesus's parables not only tell us about the kingdom they uh, they do tell us about the kingdom but they're highly social in in uh, order just as um, John Wesley would say there is no gospel that's not a social gospel everything is meant to help us live the kingdom out in a social manner and in the world they speak to injustices to oppression of the tenants you remember who come and they're and they're hurt and they're killed um, they especially speak to economic concerns Jesus's parables have a radical social dimension and so we find in these parables that God is out to to reclaim uh, to turn the world upside down to put it back aright and to reclaim that which has been lost um, and to reclaim an existing order not an existing order an, ex an order that should be existing but it isn't so he's going to take the existing order and turn it upside down because it shouldn't stand the way that it is because God's kingdom is breaking into the world if we live out these parables then God's kingdom will break into the world and the kingdom will be more present. And of course we know that Jesus taught in parables, but that he wasn't limited to just speaking in parables because we know uh, in the Beatitudes, with, which are found in the Sermon on the Mount, um, that those are ways of were ways of teaching that Jesus used just as well as uh, other teachings. In the Gospel of John, he, he really gives long... Uh, sort of lectures to people so he he does a lot of speaking a lot of teaching um, and of course the Beatitudes are a way to teach but but the parables seem to have been his main way that he taught about the kingdom of God and what it's all about and so we see this in Mark 4 um, it it ends the, the story of some parables and it says with many such parables he spoke the word to them as they were able to hear it and he did not speak to them except in parables the uh, fourth chapter of mark is just full of parables and we find little collections of parables all through the gospels and so this is the way that little section ends parables of course as you know can include like little aphorisms little pithy sayings something like you know a stitch in time saves nine so you can find little aphorisms uh, allegories where each subject matter mentioned um, is equal to something else so the the vineyard owner is God the vineyard is Israel the grapes are the are the people those sorts of things so so there's a, there's allegory there they are narrative metaphors so the whole thing could be a, me a metaphor for something else um, and of course within some of the parables there's short stories like the parable of the prodigal son there's a little short story involved in that so the parables were teaching tools with a message, with a, an absolute point to learn. Some of them had more than one point. For instance, with the prodigal son, uh, we, we learn of God's, uh, God's prodigalness or his extravagance, but we also learn by looking at each person in the parable a way that we should live. And all of the parables involve a comparison to common everyday experience or an object is, is they're just life lessons things that would draw from everyday life and they're followed by the point that Jesus wants his hearers to draw the parable 
is crafted in such a way that the hearer can only draw one conclusion. And that's the cl conclusion that Jesus is trying to make. So whatever it is Jesus wants you to know, that's where you're being led by the parable. And in my instance, I just hope that he explains it in the story afterward. <laughs> I need that so many times because I don't always get it. Um, most of Jesus' parables begin, as we've said, with what shall I compare the kingdom of God? With what shall I compare the kingdom of God? The, or the kingdom of God is like this. Jesus probably told hundreds of parables. And what we have uh, about within our gospel narratives, about 40 of those parables survive. And nearly all of them are found in the canonical gospels of Matthew, Mark, and Luke. or the, Those are the synoptic gospels, that, that which we see with one lens, uh, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Um, there are no parables in the Gospel of John. Again, in the Gospel of John, we have longer stories, lectures, uh, sermons. Um, and in John, the metaphors that Jesus uses are called signs. And, of course, they serve a very different function from the uh, parable. Usually in the Gospel of John, the signs are meant to help create a deeper belief in us, a deeper belief in Jesus and that he is, the, he is the I am, the Son of God. So they, they serve a different purpose. But in the Synoptic Gospels, many of Jesus' parables uh, are found in collections, like in Mark 4. So the 4th chapter of Mark, the 13th chapter of Matthew. Uh, in Luke, there are just tons of parables. Uh, between chapters 12 and 18, it's just rich with parables. And then, of course, chapter 15 of Luke, are the three what we call the lost parables, the lost coin, the lost sheep, the lost son. All of those are found in Luke. There are only seven parables um, that are found in all three synoptic gospels. So we have seven that are found in all three, and each synoptic gospel has some parables that are unique to that gospel itself. Uh, the gospel of Mark is, is only 16 chapters. Within those 16 chapters, there are nine parables. So it has nine parables, and two of those uh, is unique to Mark. Only Mark has those parables. Uh, the Gospel of Matthew has 22 parables within it, which is a lot. And this includes seven of Mark's nine parables. So you can see that Matthew is drawing some of that rich material of uh, the parables from, from Mark's writings. Well, that's what we think anyway. And it has, uh, Matthew has an additional 13 parables that are not found, of course, in Mark. All of the additional 13 parables of those, nine are unique to Matthew. So we've got nine parables in Matthew that you don't see anywhere else. And then the other four are shared with the Gospel of Luke which tells you that Matthew and Luke, there was some source that they had that they, that they shared, so they were, that we would call Q. So Luke has the most parables with 28, and this includes, of course, the same seven from Mark that Matthew used, and four of Matthew's additional 13, and then 16 parables that are unique to the Gospel of Luke. And in addition to the parables found in the Synoptic Gospels, there's one other place where some authentic 
we, we really believe that there are authentic parables of Jesus and where those can be found. And that would be in the Gospel of Thomas. Um, the Gospel of Thomas, contain, you know, it has a lot of sayings of Jesus. And sometimes those are not connected uh, in narrative form. So sometimes uh, Thomas will throw out a parable and in the end, you know, Matthew is so kind to us because we'll get a parable and then it'll be explained. Um, Thomas will have some that are kind of bizarre and you go, I have no idea what that meant. But there are, some are obvious and some are not. There are 15 parables in uh, the Gospel of Thomas, 11 or 12 of which are found in the Synoptic Gospels. And of the 15 parables that Thomas shares with the other Gospels, some of those in Thomas we think are maybe in a more primitive form, which leads us to believe, since the other Gospel writers use them too, that they are, um, that they are, they go back to the historical Jesus. For instance, if you look at Thomas uh, 26, this is the, the log in the speck, and look how short it is in Thomas. Jesus said, you see the sliver in your brother's eye, but you don't see the timber in your own. When you take the timber out of your own eye, then you will see well enough to remove the sliver from your brother's eye. This is a very, this is a comedic um, parable. You read that talking about a sliver in somebody's eye and then the other person has a log sticking out that's to, supposed to evoke a comedic response so we see that very short in Thomas but Matthew expands on that why do you see the speck in your neighbor's eye but do not notice the log in your own and here the red is what's been added or how can you say to your neighbor let me take the speck out of your eye while the log is in your own eye you hypocrite First take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your neighbor's. So we see this expansion also on the, um, the parable of the sower. So uh, Jesus said the sower went out, took a handful of seeds, and scattered them. Some fell on the road, and the birds came and gathered them. Others fell on rock, and they didn't take root in the soil and didn't produce heads of grain. Others fell on thorns, and they choked the seeds, and worms ate them. And others fell on good soil and produced a good crop. It yielded 60 per measure and 120 per measure. So this is the parable of the sower. And again, it's found, we think, in a more primitive form in Thomas. And Matthew takes and expands on it. And we get a wonderful um, explanation of what all of these things mean in Matthew. Um, so... So, see, Matthew adds, after the seeds fell on the ground where they didn't have much soil, he adds in, uh, what we've highlighted in the red here, and they sprang up quickly since they had no depth of soil. But when the sun rose, they were scorched, and since they had no root, they withered away. So we see how it's been uh, edited and redacted by Matthew. So the Gospel of Thomas also contains three or four parables that are unique to Thomas, and we're going to look at a couple of those in Thomas 8. Um, he's speaking of Jesus, and he said, A man is like a wise fisherman who cast his net into the sea and drew it up from the sea full of little fish. Among them, the wise fisherman discovered a fine, large fish. He threw all the little fish back into the sea and chose the large fish without difficulty. What does that sound like to you? What other parable? Seeing other stuff, but choosing the best one, going and finding the best thing. The pearl, yeah, exactly. Um, 
So whoever has ears to hear, let him hear. So you got it. You got it. You win. Um, <laughs> so while this parable is unique and not found in any other Gospels, it's strikingly similar to other parables of Jesus that are in our Gospels. And as you said, they, uh, uh, like, like the, the parable of the, of the pearl. Thomas 8, the one that we just read, combines images that Jesus uses in other parables. Um, Jesus often uses f fishing images. He talks about nets, uh, finding something of value and forsaking everything else or throwing everything else, casting everything else aside so that you can pursue that. So we see this in Matthew 13. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a net that was thrown into the sea. We've just heard that. And caught fish of every kind, lots of fish. When it was full, they drew it ashore, sat down, and put the good into the baskets, but threw out the bad. And we find that in Matthew a lot. Matthew um, is in a community that is very, um, uh, it's in a lot of turmoil with the leadership of the synagogues. And so what we find, there's a lot of, of judgment. There's lots of, in uh, Matthew, we find lots of uh, gnashing of teeth. Uh, when, when you hear about wailing and gnashing of teeth or being ca cast into outer darkness or uh, cast into uh, Gehenna, all of that, most all of that comes out of Matthew because he's uh, really driving home the point that the leadership is, is not good and that they're going to be judged. There's a, so in Matthew, we find this judgment of, separating the good from the bad uh, in Matthew 13 again the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls so this is much like Thomas on finding one pearl of great value he went and sold all that he had and bought it and then in Thomas 22 see if you can we don't find this in the gospels but see what you think this one is like Jesus saw some babies nursing and he said to his disciples these nursing babies are like those who enter the kingdom. And they said to him, then shall we enter the kingdom as babies? So what does this sound like to you? Hmm? Let the little children, yeah, exactly, here we go. But Jesus called for them and said, let the little children come to me and do not stop them. For it is to such as these that the kingdom of God belongs truly I tell you whoever does not receive the kingdom of God as a little child will never enter it so we see parallels between um, Thomas and between what we find in the gospels and so we think that these that these um, parables in Thomas are original to Jesus as well Jesus said the father's kingdom is like a man who wanted to kill a powerful man we don't usually hear Jesus talking this way about anybody wanting to kill someone Jesus said the father's kingdom is like a man who wanted to kill a powerful man while still at home he drew his sword and thrust it into the wall to find out whether his hand would go in then he killed the powerful man so at first glance this is not an image that we would normally associate with Jesus or want to associate with Jesus but when you it's surprisingly close to to an image that Jesus did use in the Gospels in Luke chapter 14 or what king, going out to wage war against another king, would not sit down first and consider whether he is able, whether he is able with 10,000 to oppose the one who comes against him with 20,000? So he's measuring the cost. If he cannot, then while the other is still far away, 
He sends a delegation and asks for terms of peace. So these stories, while not the same, are very similar, and so that we see that Jesus probably did use stories like this. And so for the next few weeks, we're going to explore in more detail and more closely the parables of Jesus, and we're going to examine them around themes, looking at similar parables together. We're going to look at those that speak of the value of the kingdom, when the kingdom will come, uh, what are we, how are we going to live in the meantime? How do we live out that kingdom? And parables, of course, that describe how the kingdom grows, that describes God's concern for the least and the lost, and about God's providential care. There are four parables about the value of the kingdom. We're going to just look quickly at those today. Um, the, the one of hidden treasure, the parable of the pearl of great price, and this large catch. All of those are found in the synoptic gospels. And then, of course, we see the um, parable of the large fish, which is found in Thomas. So in Matthew, we see this accidental finding of hidden treasure. The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field, which someone found and hid. So this is what this accidental finding. So I find this treasure in a in a and I find the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field. Someone finds it, and they hide it. And then in his joy of finding this great treasure, he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. So it's, it's accidental. He comes across this wonderful thing by accident, and he sells everything he has to buy the field where the treasure is. Uh, it's also, as, as uh, Walt points out in his scholarship, it was, un- it was illegal under Roman law, probably, to go back and buy something that was, that obviously this was someone else's treasure. It'd be like their mineral rights. You really didn't get rights to that. So, but the man goes, and his actions, of course, involve considerable risk because it's illegal. And there's a question of morality. <laughs> but the point is, the whole point of the parable is, it's this single-minded pursuit uh, just taking everything and giving it at all costs so that you can have the thing of the greatest value. And the greatest value is having the kingdom of God. Um, and so we see this in the search of the pearl for great price. Again, the kingdom is of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls. And on finding one pearl of great value, he went and sold all that he had and he bought it. There's this deliberate search for fine, for everything, that the finest thing, and when you find it, it, it's beyond all your expectations. Maybe like your spouse, right? You got to have that one. You give up everything for that, that, that that is beyond all your expectations. And the point is the same. You give up all that you have for that one thing. I, I, I did a, a, a wedding last night, and part of the vows that they use, it says, with, with all that I am and all that I have, I honor you in the wedding vows. So you give up everything for this one thing, this single-minded pursuit. And then we read of the large catch in Matthew. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a net that was thrown into the sea and caught every kind of fish. And when it was full, they drew it ashore and sat down and put the good into baskets, but threw out the bad. There's, you can tell that Matthew wrote that. <laughs> In with the good and out with the bad. And so Thomas ate then. This is his, the, the big fish. We've already seen this. Um, a man is like a wise fisherman who cast his net into the sea, drew it up, 
it was full of little fish, and then he keeps the great big one. He discovers this large, fine fish, and he keeps that, and he throws out everything as all the little fish go back into the sea and chose the large fish without difficulty. shouldn't be difficult to decide what you're going to choose in the kingdom. Whoever has ears to hear, let him hear. So when we talk about the kingdom of God, the kingdom of God is not like, in these parables, not like the treasure or the item of great price. The kingdom is like the story as a whole. Um, The point is that when you find something of great value, like the kingdom of God within your midst in your life, when you find that you drop everything else and you give it up to pursue that valuable item, to pursue that relationship with Jesus Christ. And so Jesus repeatedly made the same point in his invitations to his disciples. So as you remember the story of the rich young young ruler, uh, he comes to Jesus and says, you know, how do I inherit eternal life? And he says, well, have you done all these things? Yep, I'm a good I'm a good guy. I've done it all. But he's really wealthy. So what is the one thing that's keeping him from what he needs to be doing? And that's his his wealth. Jesus looked at him and loved him and said, you lack one thing. Go sell what you own and give the money to the poor and you will have the treasure, have treasure in heaven. Then come and follow me. That's the thing that's the creating this barrier between you and me and, and the kingdom of God. And when he heard this, he was shocked and went away grieving, for he had many possessions. So choosing the kingdom, we find this again, finding the best thing and casting everything else aside. This is, these are, are really harsh examples, but the whole thing was to, to bring home the point that the kingdom of God is most important. Whoever comes to me and does not hate father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, even life itself cannot be my disciple. Again, I don't think Jesus would say you can't have a family, you shouldn't love your family, but if something's getting in the way of, of bringing the kingdom in, of you being part of the kingdom of God, you've got, you've got to get rid of that barrier. Another of his disciples said to him, Lord, first let me go bury my father. But Jesus said to him, follow me and let the dead bury their own dead. So well, there's this recurring theme of choosing the best. You know, uh, Oswald Chambers said the, the good is the enemy of the best. Have you heard that saying before? The good is the enemy of the best. Choosing the best in the kingdom. And he, so um, this theme is coming out in when he calls his disciples and when they to, to leave everything else to follow the kingdom, to follow him. And when they had brought their boats to shore, they left everything and followed him. And the disciples even complain about this at one point. They said, you know, Peter says to Jesus, look, we've left everything to follow you. And um, Jesus' point, though, is, you know, is you, you need to choose what's most important. And he'll ask at the end, have you understood all this? Have you understood everything that I've said in in these parables? And they answered yes. And he said to them, therefore, every scribe who has been trained for the kingdom of heaven is like the master of a household who brings out of his treasure what is new and what is old. So let's look at that again. He says, every scribe who has been trained for the kingdom of heaven talking about them they have been trained they've been his disciples 
trained for the kingdom of heaven is like the master of a household who brings out of his treasure what is new and what is old. What does that mean? When Jesus had finished these parables, he left that place. Well, trained in the Greek, matheteuo, means literally made a follower or a disciple. He has trained them. They are his disciples. And what they bring out of their treasure what is new and what is old for Matthew. And normally in Jesus' teaching, this would imply um, a breaks or a sorting from Judaism. Uh, but in Matthew, it's not to do away with the, the old is the law and the new is Jesus' teaching. Not to do away with the law, but to fulfill it. So Matthew 5, we read, Do not think that I have come to abolish the law and the prophets. I have come not to abolish but to fulfill. For truly I tell you, in, until heaven and earth pass away, not one letter, not one stroke of a letter will pass from the law until all is accomplished. So through these teachings, he's telling them in Matthew that this is to fulfill the law. We're going we're gonna to work with the new and the old together. Therefore, whoever breaks one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. So Matthew, of course, in, in his context, stresses the continuity of the new with the old, while Mark does not. Mark, uh, there, in Mark, there's a separation. So this is just a reminder that as we read the parables, we read them at two different levels. We, we read them as teachings of Jesus, but we also read them in the context of a particular gospel and in the Gospel of Matthew, for instance, the parable of the lost sheep is placed in the context of how do we treat members of our community who've strayed? They're the lost sheep. There's people who've been in our midst who've strayed. How do we treat them? But in, the, in Luke, it places the parable of the lost sheep in the context of three other parables about loss. The lost coin, the lost sheep, the lost son, and they, those are all metaphors for God's seeking and saving those who are lost. So those are all about God's seeking. And so as we move forward in our parables, we're going to look at those in the context of the books that they were written in, the community they were written to, and see that some of these parables mean different things when they are written in a different context and to a different community and a different audience. So next week... Are we going to be doing parables, Walt? Parables about the coming of the kingdom and how it grows. All right? So let's stand and close with hymn number 468, Dear Jesus, in whose life I see. It's a short hymn, so we'll do both verses.